43. We're just going to start class. Um, what up? Isaiah 43, the end of it. The very end. Isaiah 43. We're going to go Isaiah 43, Isaiah 44. I will probably, I was, I'll probably go 45 minutes. Maybe 50, because, uh, it's kind of, weather's kind of bad, and I've talked to Iwana, so they started, and so we may cut it a little short tonight, just to let you all know. Uh, so, and anyway, 44, I've got to break up in a couple of sections anyway, so I figured the best way to do it is go from 43, we're going to start, we're going to pick up in verse 22 tonight. Well, 21, just to talk about it for a second, where we left off last week. Go through 23 through 20, uh, 20, 21 through 28, and then give a little but in Isaiah 44, because Isaiah 44, verse 1 says, but now listen, so it ties it together, so. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, seek his guidance in our study tonight. Father, we thank you for this time as we again open up the word together that we spend time uh, getting to know you better. A lot of information, a lot of different lists we can come up with about your nature, your character, how to understand you better, and your relationship with this nation that also trickles down to a relationship with us personally. Father, again, we thank you for who you are. Uh, I know it's been raining all day and it's kind of miserable, but you find a way to fertile your earth and make it green again and to take care of the things you need to. And Father, we just thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's where we kind of left off last week in 43. We left off with verse 21, which I think is an important uh, verse again for us to hone in on because, again, God is dealing with the nation of Israel quite extensively here. Um, let me kind of set uh, a time factor <coughs> that may aid us in our understanding. This is toward the end of Isaiah's ministry. Isaiah ministered, this is kind of a shot in the dark with calendar-wise, but I, people say 800 to about 700. I say about 750 to about 650. Does it make a difference? Not really, because what's important is this, okay? Isaiah is prophetic, because we're going to get into a section that people have said it's not because Isaiah was just telling you about the history of what's going on and they date him or date a second Isaiah later. Uh, I think it's important for us to understand the nature of prophecy because God will say specifically in these two chapters what he's going to do ahead of time. Uh, if you let your eyes just skim down to Isaiah 44 verse 20, uh, let's see, 28 I think it is. I know it's way at the end of the chapter, I know, but it says, It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. Now, the reason I say that is because if you think it's historical, then Isaiah is just talking about a historical figure. But Cyrus is about 150 years from the time of Isaiah. Okay, give or take. So I think Cyrus comes into power about 538, 536 B.C. If Isaiah is still alive, it's history. Okay. So if there's a second Isaiah writing, it's history. If Isaiah's long been dead, buried in a tomb somewhere, this is all prophetic, and that's important for us to know. Uh, and one of the key factors is Jesus quotes from both the beginning of Isaiah and the end of Isaiah, and all he says is this is the prophet Isaiah, not the second or a third or somebody different. So I'm hanging on to the idea that we're dealing with a very prophetic book, and God is looking at the nation that his prophecies will run through, and I think it's important to see that. And when he says in verse 21 of 43, uh, and remember who he's dealing with, the contentious, rebellious, sinful nation. And you guys, you would probably want to wind up and say, God, give them all that you got, because they've been so 
uh, rebellious and God has given them everything possible to have a great relationship with him and all they had to do was what? Obey. I mean, kind of simplistic. Uh, and I think he, we, we could say the same for each one of us. He's given us everything and all we have to do is obey. How are we doing? How's your scorecard kind of thing? So, um, But I think there's enough reminders in 43, the end of 43 and 44, to help us understand who God is. And I think this is the important thing that God is honing in through the prophet Isaiah is to get to know him a little better, therefore see yourself. So God says, well, it, what's, what's, what says in verse 14, it says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So he's saying this. You get to 21, verse 21, The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Now, interesting, one of the keys we've got to hold on is, who Israel is. Israel is formed for specifically not to be a great nation, not to be, but to, for God's glory to shine through them. He was, they were to praise Him and be their, His, His, uh, praise factor here on earth. And, um, what He's going to do is, is explain what they haven't done to, to glorify God. Um, and it's interesting because only the true and, uh, right and just God could say you, I should be exalted. I should be praised. Uh, if I said that, you you, would, you should laugh at me. You know, if anybody ever wanted themselves deified, uh, Nebuchadnezzar in the in the time of Daniel sets up a uh, monument for himself and says, "Praise me." And I think Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel probably said, "Really? This is what you get? we got to bow down to you." And and they didn't because again, the, it was self-deifying a man where God's purpose uh, in all of life is to bring glory to himself. So when you look around you and look at other believers and look at things, is God being glorified? That's the question we got to ask him, whatever. So you have a day like today, is God being glorified? Well, sure, sure, because God's, uh, you can find everything about God in just different things in weather phenomena and so on and so forth. Um, it, it notice in verse 20, though, if you, well, we're not going to go back a whole lot, but just to remind ourselves, even the animals will glorify God. I don't know about you, I've never thought of a jackal and an ostrich to be glorifying. You know, I just think of that, and God says, no, they're gonna, they will glorify me, uh, even the waters of the wilderness, rivers of the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. That's all meant to glorify God. So, which is, which is a fascinating thing, because it leads into a section where God's gonna talk about Israel's constant rebellion. And let me kind of set this up, because he's going to talk about Israel's rebellion, he's going to talk about God being gracious, and he's going to talk more about Israel's rebellion. And I think the interesting thing is God's grace is always kind of involved. No matter what people are doing, God is still reaching out in grace. So uh, don't think that people, be or, or this in this particular case, that Israel's beyond God's grace. Uh, so we have in verse 21 through 21, God has reached out to them in a grace factor. Then he's going to talk about the sin of Israel. And in verse, to verse 24, and then verse 25 picks up with God talking about grace again. So let's look at verse, where I want to go tonight, 22 through 24. And let's just read it together and kind of, uh, we'll pick out little nuggets. That's what I want to do with these verses, even in 44. There's a couple of lists I want to show you that's very fascinating. But let's just read 22 through 44. It says, Yet you have not called on me, O Jacob, but you have become weary of me, O Israel. You have not uh, brought me to the uh, the sheep of your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. 
I have not burdened you with offerings, nor wearied you with with incense. Uh, you have brought me no sweet cane with money, neither have you filled me with the fat of your sacrifices. Rather, you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Now, it's kind of a fascinating chapter, and I mean, a set of verses, and we'll see why. But one of the interesting things is God says, uh, this is kind of an indictment on Israel. He's reading a, a charge list. Kind of say, you get that kind of a court idea, and God's saying, here's the things you've done. And we could say it real easy in a, in a New Testament kind of way. For all of Israel has sinned and fallen short of God's glory, verse 21, right? Didn't we just say that? Um, and God, the difference between this and that verse, that verse doesn't delineate what people have done. Verses before that, in chapter 1, had done that in Romans chapter 1. But here, he's delineating what they've done. And I think it needs to be understood what they've done, because I, th- I believe when God calls Israel out, he's giving them that chance to do it right. Because remember, Israel is not far. Um, well, let's do it this way. 722 B.C., the northern kingdom went into captivity. I believe this is about 701 B.C., so the northern ki- kingdom is in captivity. The southern kingdom, where the kings of David ruled, is on the verge of that, but they're about 100 years away from the, the Babylonians taking over. They're still under the Assyrian rule. Uh, if you remember the constant warnings, Israel was getting involved with foreign nations to trust, basically the issues of what? The beginning of Isaiah was, do you trust me? Do you, Israel, trust me? And the answer was, no, they didn't, because what did they do? They called upon foreign powers to help them out and not God. So we get here, God's writing, reading them the Indictment Act because nothing's really changed. And remember, Isaiah's been heralding, crying out as a prophet at least 50 years, give or take, okay? Uh, and in 50 years, God's chosen prophet has gone through the nation and, and given various facets, facets of who God is and prophecies and things, so on and so forth, through the whole 50 years, and they don't get it yet you realize the indictment of not listening to the prophets, right? That means that you're not listening to God. The prophet was God's voice. Um, so I want us to understand that. So uh, basically they got, I want to say a rap sheet, but that sounds really weird. Uh, they got a failure notice. Okay, here's your notice of failures. Here's what you've done. Uh, and their, their failure was to basically bring God the glory he has. So the first thing he says, you have not called on me. Now, we can tweak it a little bit, um, and I think it be, I believe it has a little bit to do with prayer, um, but I don't know if a nation prays together stays together. I, do. <laughs> I don't see anything wrong with that, but the, we can say definitely Israel was not a praying nation, but it does talk about having your eyes lifted up, but your heart not in it in this verse, that idea of, um, of lifted up in a prayer kind of thing, but your heart's not in it. Uh, and... Uh, and when you do that, and some people have done it, we call them great speeches to God with your eyes shut, right? Right? Everybody close your eyes and we're going to pray to God and it's all about what? Nothing about any praise to God, any thankfulness to God. It's just, you know, God we really need kind of idea. Uh, and we call those great speeches to God. Yet, I think as I looked at this more deeply, and I'm not sure I'm 100% right, but I believe this has to do with calling for God to come. Because remember, if we look ahead now, Israel as a nation has to call for God to, for Jesus to return. 
So he, in order for him to even come, the Messiah to come, they would have had to call upon him. And there's been no calling in the nation. In other words, they're not God conscious at all, even for him in the times of trouble. Um, most of us in this room can, can understand this. Having a foxhole mentality when things are bad, we want to go straight to God. Nothing's necessarily wrong with that. But Israel has the foxhole mentality. All hell is breaking out around them, and they're not calling out to God. So I want you to kind of get that. God, they're not, there's no God priority. That's what this is saying here. And I think that's important. Um, and, and Matthew 23, 39 does say on that day when they call upon him, he will come. So they got to call him. So the first thing we can get out of this is they haven't called. Um, we can even bring it down to a real human level. And most people say, I haven't heard from you lately. And we we could say, well, why haven't you called me? Really want to hear from me? Call for me. God wanted to hear from his people, and they haven't called upon him. That's the kind of pattern, I guess, is the best way to bring that up. And then in verse, the second part of the verse, it says, but you've become weary of me, O Israel. And I think this is a poetic way, because if you look, let your eyes go down a little bit to verse 24, it'll say, you have wearied me with your iniquity. So basically, uh, it's a play on words here. To, uh, they wearied God. Israel's sins had worn God out. Um, and I think we can understand that in any, any uh, arena of life. Um, some of us get uh, worn out by people's constant... Uh, everybody ever heard of the popcorn effect? You know, somebody come up and punch somebody and you say, okay, why did you punch me? But popcorn will drive you nuts if somebody's just taking a piece of popcorn and just... And sooner or later, somebody's going to go off the handle. Cause you're... And Israel has popcorn God to death with sins. Every time God has dealt with them, he, they have just little things coming right at them constantly. You know? Um, and sometimes there have been big ones, but... Uh, and I, we can't say... Listen, this is the hard part, because we can't say God gets tired weary because why because we could see earlier i believe in this chapter uh, no a couple of chapters ago it said god doesn't get weary and yet this chapter saying god well in verse 24 god will be weary but israel's uh uh it said here that you have become weary of me israel is basically tired of god and god is um over uh, had enough of their sinning that's what we get with those Verse 22, verse 24 kind of idea getting involved with the bookends there. Um, look with me at Second Peter real quick. Uh, this may help us a little bit getting some more insight. Second Peter chapter 3. So basically, Israel has been is, has uh, been weary of God, and from verse 24 we see God has been wearied by their sins and their iniquities. Second Peter 3:9. I think this is something we can definitely apply to this set of verses. It says, "The Lord is slow about His promise, as some count slowness." It's not slow, excuse me, not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Which is fascinating, because on Sunday morning we're talking about the will of God. 
So here we got a great verse on the will of God. What is the will of God? That all should come to repentance. Okay? So when we look at Israel, why has God been so long-suffering with them? Why has God been so patient? It's because he wants them to return, to change their mind about who he is and come back to him to repent. Um, right now, they're not repentant. They're happy and complacent with where they're at. And God has constantly re- helped them to remember how their relationship was supposed to go. So look at verse 23. You have not brought me sheep for your burnt offerings. In other words, the number one thing God wanted was there's a relationship we must have. You're going to sin in order for us to keep this this, uh, relationship on the right basis. You have to bring an offering. And if they haven't brought the offering, what are they basically saying? We don't want a relationship with God. Right? Because the only thing God says, here's the things that are required on a ceremonial law thing uh, basis. The Levitical law said you had to bring sacrifices. And it's saying, you haven't bought me, the, uh, you haven't brought it to me. Nor you ha- uh, have you honored me with your sacrifices. So no burnt offerings, no sacrifices. And notice what he says there. I think it's important for us to see that. They haven't honored God. Honoring God is again going back to verse 21, exalting him, praising him. So how do you praise God? You give him what he, he desires and what he's asked for. The end of verse 23 says, I have not burdened you with, I, I have not burdened you with offerings nor wearied you with, with incense. In other words, God hasn't forced them to be religious. He's asked them volitionally to do this. Uh, how are they doing? How are they doing? You can almost say, uh, the altars were empty. The, bur- the burning, uh, burning incense was quiet. There was nothing happening. Here's the problem, though. I, I want to bring out a problem because someone will say, well, most of Israel, the northern kingdom, had been scattered. They couldn't even bring an offering for where they were at. Right. Agreed. Why were they scattered? Why did they go into captivity? Because they had sin that, with God that they did not deal with, and God punished them and told them, Clearly, in Deuteronomy, if you did these things, you'd be scattered. And the northern kingdom was first to go. They couldn't do that because they were scattered. They couldn't go to Jerusalem. Remember, one place to make your offerings. You couldn't go to the local pub or the QT or whatever and make an offering. You had to go to Jerusalem. What was the issue with the people in Judah? Why didn't they make the offerings? Because they didn't. I don't know what else to come up with other than they didn't. And if you don't, you don't want to. It's not a priority. You don't care. You know, I'm going to tell you something. I've been a pastor for over 20-something, 24 years, okay? And people have given me all sorts of excuses why they don't go to church. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't buy any of them. I feel like a a ninth grader, I roll my eyes when they tell me, we didn't go to church because, uh, okay, you know? Because every excuse you can come up with is just a way to say God's Word is not a priority. I don't know what else to do with it in my little mind, and I would, you know, I like to say to them sometimes, well, I don't want to go to church either, but I got to be here, right? And they say, yeah, yeah, you got it. No, I don't got to be here. It's a choice, right? It's a choice because I'll be honest, it was pretty miserable weather. I would have loved to stay under a warm blanket right now, you know, with one eye on the bad news or something that's going on. Um, but this is a priority. And when we prioritize that, you know, it's an important thing. And God does know when we prioritize things because he says in verse verse 24, and I think this is interesting, um, he counts 
uh, what you've done, and sometimes the negative has just plunged war on God. He says this, You have not brought me the sweet cane with money. And again, um, this has to do with offerings. We're not going to get into all the different sides of offering, but uh, I think this is a, a, a kind of a, a weird translation the New American Standard has. Um, Neither have you filled me with fat of your off, of your sacrifice. That means the good part that's supposed to go to the sacrifices. They didn't even do the good parts. Rather, you have burdened me with your sins. In other words, in exchange for doing what God wanted, bringing the proper things, they gave him his sins. In other words, they left their sins there. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Now, why? Because if you're not doing the sacrifices, you're not doing the offerings, you're not doing what's requiring, your sin is not dealt with, and God's got to do what with it? He's got to do something with it, and that means what? God's going to punish it, right? What else is he going to do? Can he overlook it and just say, forget it? God can't do that. Can't do that because so so this is where they're at. They're in a place that um, God's had enough of their sinning. Uh, and, and notice what it says that God want. Well, before we go too far, um, and I want us to understand that this is a section where God has said, "This is your indictment. This is where the nation of Israel's at." Okay, so we've looked at verses one through twenty-one where God has given a, a time of grace for Israel. Now He re- reads them a, an indictment. And, and we could look through this and say, Israel deserves whatever God wants to dish out. And then in verse 25, God says, well, let me give you some grace. And he says this in verse uh, 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And my question, which is kind of interesting here, how? How will God do that? And I think I don't think he's saying now this has happened, because he cannot do that. That would be an indictment of God doing something he could not do with what, without a payment, right? Because his justice demands a payment, right? And what would be the payment if he just just wiped the slate clean and and didn't remember their sins anymore? And then, then in what a hundred years puts them all into captivity? Why? If he just did what? Dealt with their sins. I think this is an explanation that this is readily available, uh, that God will wipe away your sin for his sake. He will remember no more when God makes this provision available and they accept it. So I think this is a look ahead to the Savior, and that's grace. Because right now, if they're not making the offerings in that economy, there is no dealing with sin. And God just can't say, because why? Because he set a standard from the very beginning. This is how you deal with sin. Right? Adam and Eve did what? They tried to cover their sin. God shed some animal's blood, covered them with an animal. Right? Animal's skin. So sin was dealt with, and it set a standard throughout the Old Testament that sin is dealt with by by sacrifice, by laying down of a life. Okay? Um, Then... Christ will come and do that, and I think that's when we look at a time where, um, for God's sake, they're wiped out, and we can go to the book of Hebrews and spend time in there and see that this is when, through Christ, the, the sacrifice of Christ, the one, one and only sacrifice, sin has been wiped out, and, and iniquity and sins are not remembered anymore. Those kind of things. So, but verse 26, basically, then he goes back and he says, let me explain to you why you're going to go into captivity. 
So that's why verse 25 is just a picture of grace. That there's a time this will come. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue our case together. So again, you've got to think this is an indictment. and Here's the case. State your case that you may be proved right. Your first forefather sinned, and your spokesmen have transgressed against me, so I will pollute the princes of the sanctuary. I will consign Jacob to the ban and Israel to revilement. So basically, it's recapping uh, what Deuteronomy says, that Israel would be uh, a horror, a proverb, a taunt. Uh, And if we look at Israel, if we take Israel's condition at the time of Isaiah as a nation, and we put it, overlay it over Israel's condition now as a nation. Can we say they've learned anything? Are they, are they, what are they doing to get right with God? Let's kind of walk through this. What are, what are they doing to call upon the Lord? We could do this. Has Israel called upon the Lord? No, okay? We could definitely say that because the Lord hasn't what? If, if Israel did, the Lord would have returned. We wouldn't, why are we doing Bible class? <laughs> We should be doing something else. Uh, secondly, uh, have they wearied God with what they've done? And I still think God is being wearied with what they've done. Uh, where is Israel religiously? If they are religious in Israel, or any Jews today, uh, it's, it's a, it depends on which way you go. It's either a pharisaical Judaism, it's either uh, an ultra-conservative Judaism, or it's secular or it's reform, which doesn't care about anything except social club kind of thing. So they're all over the board. But are they biblically Jewish? Okay, I'm not saying anything about Judaism. Are they biblically? They can't be. Because what did it demand? It demanded what the next verse says, have you brought me burnt offerings? Have you honored me with your sacrifices? Well, Israel doesn't do that. And if you talk to them today, why don't you sacrifice? Oh, we don't have to. And they'll take verses out of context and say, oh, as long as we're doing good deeds for God, mitzvahs, doing good works, we're okay. Where did you get that? Where's God ever said, if you do these five things, you're right with me? Because he doesn't say it here, where it would be a good place to say it. Um, and, and, and then 24 again reiterates where they are uh, sin-wise. So we could say, uh, basically, uh, Israel, and, and I'm going to say this, because there's other religions that have done it, but Israel religiously have polluted the earth because they haven't done what God has. Uh, uh, and, and if you look at it, what's, what's the counter to that? Why we know that there, there's an issue is because God said at one point that all Israel will be again the holy people, the people that will lead the Gentile nations to the Lord. And where are they in, uh, in if we were to do national polls around the world, how do they feel about Israel? And I would say majority of nations revile Israel. And that's what the, that's what the Bible says. They were, they're they're in, a, in a place of being reviled. Uh, the end of verse 28 says, I will consign Jacob to the ban and Israel to revilement. So we can kind of say that's where they're at today. Nothing's really changed. Uh, there, there are, they have been vignettes of time where Israel, uh, right after the captivity under Ezra and Nehemiah, I think there was a time period Israel was that nation that was glorifying God, but it was for a very short period of time. Why? Because all those exiles that returned wanted to return, wanted to go back to the land, wanted to be the people uh, that God wanted them to be in that land because they had learned through exile some, val- some very valuable lessons, but it didn't last long. All right, let's go to chapter 24, I mean 44. You can go to chapter 24, but you'll be in the wrong place. Let's, let's kind of uh, briefly go into it, because I, I really think 
chapter breaks sometimes are really bad, and this is another place. I think I said that at the beginning of chapter 43, too. I think uh, as we go 42, 43, 44, if we were to say anything about those three chapters, it's one. And I think it's better to understand it that way. Because if you go into uh, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 4, it's talking about God's grace again, and a, li- and a lot about God's promises in this issue, in this section. And it's very poetic. And I think if you have a, a New American Standard Bible, you can kind of see it set up like poetry, um, the way it's kind of set in its, uh, in its uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The way it's cased. I can't, can't remember. Uh, and then verses 8, 9 through uh, 20, again, you go into a, a narrative, and you can see the difference in the way the paragraphs are laid out. I can't think of what it's called, how it's margin, put it margins, and so on and so forth. Um, I'll think of the word like in the middle of the night and write it down. <laughs> um, but if you look at chapter 43, four, 1 through 8, and then 21 through 28 have the same uh, setup, because they're both poetry, but the first part is all poetry about God's promises. 21 through, actually, for, through 40, 45, 25 is all prophecy set to poetry. Kind of get what I'm saying? So that gives you a little intro. So let's look at uh, 44, verse 1 through 8, and just kind of set where we're going. Um, I, I, what I wanted to do originally was just walk through these verses, and I go, eh, maybe we will, maybe we won't. I think towards the end we'll walk through them, and I'll just do... But I want to read 1 through 8 to start with. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Now take that verse and pin it against 22. And you can see the interesting change in tonality. Okay, verse 22 says, You have not called on me, O Jacob. You have become weary of me, O Israel. But now listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Here the different, uh, I guess the best way to say that, intonation. You, can, you almost feel there's a difference there. So God's addressing them uh, differently. Okay. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on, the, on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants, and they will spring up among the grass like poplars, by the streams of water. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And that one will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, belonging to the Lord, and, and will uh, name Israel's honor, will, uh, name with honor. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I'm the last. You feel the difference in this? It's kind of interesting there. There is no God beside me. And who is like me? Let him, let him proclaim and declare it, yes. Let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to, uh, to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. So right there you get a little pop of God saying, I'm going to give you more prophecy. So I don't know how anybody could think it's history. Okay. Verse 8 says, Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I uh, not long since announced it to you and declared it, and you are my witnesses? There is, is there any God besides me, or is there any other rock I know of none? So, I mean, this is a, a really wonderful section about who God is, and I, I think one of the things we could do is count on some of the things said there. So let's look at his promises, verses 1 through 5, 
and, and his promises. Well, first of all, let's do this. Um, I think it's interesting because, again, God wants him to listen. Anybody remember the indictment way back in, in Isaiah chapter 6 about Israel's ability to listen? Nobody? That they would be cursed with what? Inability to hear, see, or understand. Right? And that was reiterated a few times in the New Testament. Yet, that, yet God's clearly saying to them, listen. So even though God says there's been an indictment against you as a nation, and you won't hear, you won't see, you won't understand, you still have the ability to make a choice to what? To listen. And, and it's, again, God's saying, graciously, I'm giving you another opportunity. And if, it's fascinating because the opportunity begins with understanding who you are in reference to God. Now, let's kind of make it more interesting for today. Uh, I could say I'm a believer. So if anything's going on, any doubt, any hurts, any trials I'm going through, the first thing I had to say is, I am the Lord's uh, child. I am saved by Christ. I'm in Christ. That's my initial place to start. So he's saying the same thing to them because God has chosen Israel. If God's chosen them, uh, and later we'll see in verse 2, he's formed, well, made them, formed them. There's a bunch of things going on here. Uh, that makes God the creator, and the creator basically cannot take his hands off his thing he's formed, the thing he's done, because he's going to bless it. He's promised that. So God is the creator. He's chosen Israel. If you've chosen, and let me explain to you what chosen means. doesn't mean you're great, but you have a purpose why you're chosen. You've given, you've given his place as a chosen to do something, to be something. So when you talk about elect, whatever you want to call or chosen, it's chosen for a purpose. And you got to say, what is Israel's purpose? To be a light to the nations. How have they done? Pretty poorly. But they're still his chosen nation through which that light will come. And one of the things we've seen in the Abrahamic promise in chapter 15 of Genesis is that through Abraham will come a seed, and that seed will be the light. Right? Didn't Jesus call himself what? The light of Miami, the light of Tulsa. What does he call himself? Light of the world, right? World. So that that baton of being the light of the world was passed from the nation to the person. Um, and Israel was supposed to bring people to the Lord. Um, and when we have this idea of verse 1, but now listen, Israel's going to try and be told what to remember about their relationship but in light of what, he's, what Jesus, what, what Jesus, what the Lord had said in the previous verses, He's contrasting it with now they still have another uh, challenge before them, and the challenge is to listen to them. Um, so if God says, "Listen to me," and the important thing is that you hear Him, and the important thing is to understand your relationship with Him, what's the first thing that can't come in the way? Uh, and I think it's interesting He brings up in verse two, "Do not fear." Now, I wanted to show you something. Go to Genesis chapter 15. Hold your finger here and we'll go be right back. Genesis 15. And I believe there's a little difference between Genesis 15 and Isaiah 44. It's not in words, it's in ideas. In other words, in verse 1 it says... Genesis 15.1 says, After these things, 
the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. So again, it's saying, Abram, stop this condition of fearing. Why would Abraham, Abram, let's get it right, his name wasn't changed yet. Why would Abram be afraid? What would be the reason for fear? How many times has God visited Abraham? You know, uh, maybe once, twice. Uh, I think Genesis 12, when God spoke to Abraham, he didn't visit him. And I think this is an actual, actual vision of God given to Abraham because later he'll uh, divide animals up and God will pass between the animals in, in the sealing of the unconditional covenant. So Abraham sees, first of all, so there's a fear of awe. Awe and respect, I think, is there more than anything. Um, so he has the right to fear. I would be in that state too. Um, also, Abraham mentally is in a condition where he's kind of failing to believe God all the time. Because why? He's been promised something and hasn't come through. And Abraham said, O Lord, verse 2, God, thou will give me, a, uh, give me since I am childless, and the heir of the house is Eliezer Damascus. So he still knows God's promised him something. God hasn't come through with the promise, and most human beings will say, it's my fault. So now Abraham's beginning a negotiation with God. Since, since I'm childless and it's probably my fault, um, give me Eliezer. God says, you don't get this, you know. Uh, and so one of the reasons God says to him, stop this fear and understand who I am. So in verse 6, it's the capstone in this, then he believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So Abraham came to a place of, I believe you, Lord. And the belief did what to the fear? I believe it got it canceled it. Okay, I think it was done because Abraham now, because later when God tells him to do all these things, never is fear mentioned again. Okay, now go to chapter 44 uh, of Isaiah. Verse 2 says, Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Now, why would Israel be in a state of fear? I think that was obvious from what we talked about before. They're in a state of sin, piled upon sin, piled upon sin, and God now is going to speak to them in a very uh, calm manner, but Israel's in a state of fear because the only thing to fear from God is what? To fall in the hands of an angry God. Okay? And God, I think, is in a state that, that they... And, but he says, don't fear. Because why? Because God's going to explain his relationship to them. And that gives you reason. And as God goes through this, there's no reason to fear. But Israel never changes their relationship. I can't see a place in the end, by Isaiah's end that Israel did what their father Abram did, which is what? Believe. So I really think today, my opinion is, Israel remains in a state of fear of God. And I just that's my opinion. can't prove it in a verse, but I can't disprove it either because Israel's not in a state of belief. And if you don't have that relationship with God, there is that fear of what? Falling in the hands of an angry God. There is also a good fear, because I think we're all going to have that, which is awe and, and, and appreciation for who God is. Um, but Isaiah's first reaction wasn't fear when he fell before God's feet. He says, woe, uh, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He recognized who he is 
But he didn't say, I, God never said, stop fearing Isaiah, <laughs> you know, because um, Isaiah was in a state of belief. And I think that's an important thing to see as we see this, because God reaches out in grace to a people that does not believe. And I think that's uh, uh, pretty obvious as God goes through a litany, of, as much as he went through the, the, the items of indictment in chapter 43, verse 22, he goes through items here, and he says different things like... Uh, he even uses an interesting name. He calls them Jeshurun. Uh, Israel is it's another name for Israel, but it's only used four times in the Old Testament. And I wanted to come some, come out with something very great about this word Jeshurun. And I can't find out anything great other than God used it in times where he's talking about his um, possible breaking of a relationship with him by their sin. Because Deuteronomy 32, 33, and here in Isaiah 43 are the only places that word's used. So... Um, I don't think it's a pet name. It could be a, you know, a stern name. Um, I can't come up. Uh, here's what it means. Jacob, here's the only idea I can come up with, and I don't know if this helps. Jacob uh, is known as the deceiver. Jeshurun comes from the idea of being upright. So is, he may be kind of using a wordplay saying, Jacob was the deceiver. You've deceived me as a nation. You should be upright as a nation. So he uses the word Jeshurun to remind them of what they should be as a nation. Um, I wouldn't kind of go home and say that's the most profound thing I've ever heard, but it's a possibility kind of thing. Um, and, and I think, again, it, it's the, where Israel's gone with their relationship, because we do know this from these verses. God has said in verse 2, He has made them. He has formed them from the womb. He will help them. They are His servant. They have been chosen. Um, that's a pretty good litany of things to say, you know, you can even say, look at your foot and say, made by God, belongs to God kind of thing. That's kind of a cool place to be. And uh, when you say Israel belongs to God, uh, they're chosen from the start. They were created to be such. They were to be God's elect nation. Elect nation. They were to represent him, uh, represent him. They were God's servant, a chosen and upright people. And from what we've seen in Isaiah, how's that working out? And they're not, we can't say visually, if we were to look at a nation, they're upholding those things. Uh, if anything, they're running to other nations. They're run, And we'll have an indictment in here, in this chapter, about their idolatry. Uh, and it's sad. It's basically sad, because Israel was, uh, it says God made them. They were made by God, which has to do with prepared, produced, created by God. Just think about that. God just didn't, it wasn't like an afterthought. It wasn't like, okay, God, you know, is getting together with the Godhead and they're all thinking and said, we got to come up with a plan, guys, because the, the beginning plans are all falling apart. Let's come up with Israel. That sounds like a good idea today. Let's come. No, this is all part of God's plan. And when we talk that God made them, there's a maker, creation, creator responsibility. How's Israel doing with that? They're former. God is their former. God's constantly shaping them. Uh, so and it, and shaping has to do and forming has to do with the, not only just doing it but the process of doing it. Uh, so all the things we could say from Israel's inception till today, God's still dealing with that nation. He's still involved in that nation, uh, and I believe so because in my lifetime I could say these things. I could see God's hand in this nation, uh, and it says, and I think this is important because where Israel at, is at. Physically, because uh, they're always they've been in Isaiah trying to depend on other nations. Um, 
we can say God's going to always help them how they trusted God for his help. And I think that's important to see because in the relationship that God has with these people, they should always trust him for help. They should uh, have that understanding that God does not need or respond to us to help him, but he wants to help them. And and that's the relationship he, he has with Israel, uh, that, that constant give and take is not needed. God wants to do everything for them. Uh, Israel will always be helped because of the relationship that God has as maker, former, caller, chooser, all these different things that are involved. Uh, Real quick, two more, because then we're going to dismiss, and then we'll go back and pick up in verse 4. But verse 3 says this, and I think it's interesting to see both sides of what Israel will be blessed by, by God. So look at the physical side of this. I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams uh, on the dry land. So God will physically keep Israel what? Now, this is going to sound kind of funny. Israel will be constantly kept wet. What's the most important thing in life? Water. So Israel will always be, I don't know how else to say this, watered by God. (laughs) Okay? And then it says, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. So God wants to bless them spiritually and physically. And I I think it's important to see that. Not only, uh, and it's interesting because catch this. He says on your offspring, so that means the immediate so if you have kids today, that would be your offspring, and your descendants would be the kids of the kids of the kids of the kids. So God wants to do this spiritual blessing to them today, tomorrow, so on and so forth, and continuing. How would we look at Israel today? Would we call them a spiritual nation? And see, these are the things that they're missing out on. And we'll pick up next week, because I promised uh, kind of a few minute leeway so you all can get home and safe out of this weather. So we're going to pray. Uh, uh, we're going to close class for prayer, and I want to just bring up a few things after I get off the mic. So hang on just for one second. So, Father, we thank you for this evening, this class. Again, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for listening ears on a night like tonight and those that came out and dealt with the weather. Father, we just thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen.